There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddow and it's great to have you with us wherever you're listening from. Our Book Off tote bags are selling like hotcakes, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks to everyone who's bought one already, we still have some left, so if you fancy pimping up your book buying, then you can find the link to buy one of our bags on our social channels. And enough of the hard sell, down to business. It's time to welcome our authors for this episode. And my first guest is a poet, author and former lawyer, a semi-finalist for the Fulbright Fellowship and has written for many publications, including Minerva Rising, Women Arts Quarterly and Jet Fuel Review. Having lived in Okinawa, Ghana, Chicago, Cuba, Spain... Italy, Washington DC, she has moved back to her hometown of Memphis where she sits on her porch most evenings listening to records and that sounds like bliss. I'm hoping to get an invite. Here to tell us about her debut novel Memphis, it's Tara M. Stringfellow. Hello to you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. What an absolute pleasure to have you here and in the studio as well, Tara. Thank you so much for being here. No, thank you. I just want to say your voice is amazing. I'm like blown away. Like, wow. <laughs> and my second guest is the author of three novels, which include the New York Times bestseller Wench. She is a 2020 nominee for a United States Artist Fellowship and the current chair of the board of the Penn Faulkner Foundation. On behalf of the foundation, she has visited nearly every public high school in the District of Columbia to talk about the importance of reading and writing and she's here to tell us about her third novel her first to be published here in the UK it's Dolan Perkins Valdez welcome to you Dolan thank you and I should introduce you because Tara is here in the studio with me in London Dolan you're all the way over there in Washington DC Tara Dolan Dolan Tara intro's done um, yes, how, yes. Is how is Washington this morning well it's still dark outside <laughs> But um, we've had very good weather, so that's good. Yesterday it was about six, 65 degrees Fahrenheit, so it, it's been nice. Mm. And thank you so much for getting up so early to speak to us today. We really appreciate it. I'm usually a morning person, but this morning I just struggled. So I'm just glad to <laughs> not have missed my alarm. <laughs> no, we, we are too. Um, and Tara, it's wonderful to have you in London and here in the UK. Memphis holds a, a special place in my heart um, because as a music lover, oh. some of my favourite records were recorded yeah. there. Some of my favourite oh, artists are from nice. there. And I had the absolute privilege and pleasure a few years ago, well, about five years ago now, of recording at Sun Studios as well. No, Yeah, and really? it's just ever since that trip... Yeah, uh, it's it's held a, a bit of a place in my heart. So. Aww, I'm so glad. I love when folk tell me that they love Memphis, my mm. city. It makes me feel real good. Like, oh, we did good. And is the back <laughs> is the sort of back porch listening to records really oh, true? Yeah. I uh, my dad for my last birthday, the birthday before, got me a little portable one. I have the one, the, you know, and I have a Victrola like in the book. Mm. Um, I have like a little parlor, and that's my music room when you first walk in. But I have a huge front porch, and me and my Hound. I have a Tennessee Walker hound named Huckleberry. <laughs> and you can find us on the porch um, sitting and listening to Al Green or Aretha or, yeah. you know, and then I, I'll make myself a drink 
and I'm out in the kimono. All my neighbors come by. I, I'm like in a this row, is a dream. yelling at folk in the street. They're like, hey, when that book coming out, though? You going to London? Oh, it's going to be, well, what you going to say? It's going to be cold over there. Just, okay, well, we'll get back. Well, where's Huck going to be when you're in London? That's all they care about. Where's Huck? Where is Huckleberry? care about the dog. You got to look after the dog. He's, gonna, he's more famous than I'll ever be. <laughs> Than I'll ever be. He's much. He's he's very attractive too. Oh, he's, that's wonderful. He's more gorgeous and more popular than I'll ever be in my entire life, and I'm fine with that. You paint such a lovely picture, um, mm. and we're going to talk about Memphis, of course, a lot, and and this new book. In fact, both of your books over the next half an hour or so, as well as finding out some reading recommendations from you, and of course, we will do the book off where each of you gets three minutes to tell us about a book you love. And you think that we should all read. Um, Tara, at the front of my copy of Memphis is a note from you. And it's about why you decided to write this book. And it feels like it came actually from a sort of place of anger, oh, first yes. of all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you said that you knew the title before anything mm-hmm. else. Could you just just tell us what was in that, that author note? It was, it was 2016. It was November. It was my birthday. My birthday's November 6th. Um, and I asked for two things from God for my birthday. I asked for the Cubs to win the World Series. They did the week before. And I asked for Hill to win the election. And she did not. I think I was greedy. It was all my fault. So I felt really bad for my country and for everyone. Like, I literally thought I had a, some sort of hand in this. And I was just really sick of a, of any racist, but especially a racist demagogue, to get up there and tell me who made this country great when I knew damn well it was me and mine and every other black family out there or any brown family, any immigrant family making this country great. And um, I, I just knew I had to write Memphis. And as I was writing Memphis, he was calling Baltimore a shit city, you know, another beautiful black artistic city on the water you know and I was just yeah I was angry and I knew my anger could not contain a single poem so I switched from poetry to prose and um, I just had more to say I wanted to write I think of my book Memphis as a long a long epic poem Mm. to my city so even though it is a book a novel I consider it my second poetry collection in a way yeah that's nice because of course your poetry will have informed this writing. You know, right. without without your background of poetry, this book might not have been. It would been. have never. It could have never been. So, how did you find the writing of of prose versus you know what you had written before? So I was at Northwestern getting my MFA at night in creative writing in poetry. Mm. I went there for the poetry track and I wrote a poem um, um, entitled Origins. And I remember my professor there that night. Reginald Gibbons, he pushed it, you know, back to me all, you know, because there was a big table and students around and we all mark it up. You read it out loud and you can't say anything after and they mark it all up and they push all the papers back to you all with the red ink all over it. And um, I got all my papers back and when he pushed them back to me on this long wooden table, he said this, this shit should be a novel. Really? And I, and I was like, okay, and Trump had just won the election. You know, yeah, I was going yeah, to school yeah. at night, and I said, okay, okay. So I went back home that Christmas. I went back home to Memphis, and I sat down at my mom's kitchen table at the bar, and she's like, what are you doing? Why are you up so early? You know, and um, she came around, and she saw that what I was writing. I just said, Memphis, and I said, I think it's time. Mm. I write, or I try to, before I die, mm. try to write a great American novel mm-hmm. And um, to let this world know that a black woman could do that. Yeah. So that's what I tried to did. do. And you uh-huh. did. <laughs> I don't know. I'm blushing. Y'all can't see, but I'm blushing. I'm underneath the table right now. <laughs> I'm hiding my face. Well, yes, you can. You can just stay there and uh, you know <laughs> compose yourself because we'll come back. And I want to just talk about. Um, the st- the women in Memphis and the story behind it in a moment. But um, Donan, if I could just come to you uh, and take my hand is your third novel, as I said, but it is, it's the first novel that, that is being published here in the UK, which we're very excited about. Um, and this is inspired by a true story, isn't it? Could you just tell us where this idea came from? So I had heard about the 
hundreds of thousands of women in the U.S. who had been sterilized by the U.S. government, primarily black women, um, but mostly women of color as well, other women of color. And I thought it had been written about because it wasn't a secret history. You know, I'd heard about it. And every now and then when I was watching a documentary or something, there would flash the image of these two young girls um, who had been sterilized during that time in the early 1970s. But it was always very brief. It was always sort of like a footnote. And um, for me, this has been sort of an open secret of American history for the last um, 50 years. But um, nobody had written about it. And when I began to just do a little bit of exploring and, and researching, I learned how big of a deal it was in 1973 in Montgomery, Alabama, when two young sisters were sterilized without the consent of their parents. And I knew that I had to write about it. I was outraged. I was heartbroken um, as a mother as a person from the South, uh, a proud daughter of the South. And my mother was a nurse. Um, I was thinking about who was responsible for this at the local level, right? I knew the federal government funded the clinic, but who were the people at the clinic who carried out this horrible tragedy? And I just, I just wanted to write about it, and I couldn't shake it from my mind until I did. Both of these books are... <clears throat> brilliant and I thoroughly enjoyed reading them if that's the word but they're also both very important books I think they they both have important subject matters and they deal with really important issues and I think both of you have have tackled them if I may say so and be so bold so well because you've both created brilliant pieces of fiction that are entertaining but that also make us think and that have a really true message and for the listeners, perhaps we can just, you could just set up both of your stories for us. Um, Dolan, perhaps just because you've you've talked about the research and the inspiration behind this, could you just sort of set up the story of Take My Hand for, for, the, for the listeners? Sure. So my main character is Sybil Townsend, and the story opens in the present. She is a doctor, and... Her daughter has just graduated college, and she has never told her the story of what happened in 1973 in Montgomery. And she begins by calling her daughter into the house so that she can share this story with her. Um, in 1973, Sybil was a recent graduate of the Tuskegee Nursing School in Tuskegee, Alabama, and her very first job was at this family planning clinic. She has these two young patients um, uh, India and Erica, who are 11 and 13 years old and are on birth control. Once she finds out that one of the girls is not even menstruating yet, she also discovers that neither one of them has ever even kissed a boy. She begins to ask questions about why they've been put on birth control. And one thing leads to another until this terrible tragedy occurs and Sybil finds herself fighting for justice for these two girls. And that fight for justice goes all the way to the highest levels of the U S government. Mm. And Sybil is such a, a great character. I think a character that readers will remember for a long time after reading this book, because she's bold, she's outspoken, she's compassionate. Um, and I think, reading it you know now she's a very timely character with all that's going on in the world and i think that you know she she is doing what so many people are doing at the moment and that is you know speaking out and being bold and putting themselves on the line a bit you know yes i really wanted to create a character who um understands that you know we can right a wrong but who also has been somewhat complicit in that system, right? She's not completely guilt-free. She works for the clinic. And even though she fights for the girls, she is a part of the system that is treating poor black women in a way that is patronizing. And so she has to check herself. 
And I was really, I, my protagonists are always in some ways extensions of me. <laughs> and so part of what I'm exploring is how did this go so horribly wrong? And how does it go from us trying to do a good deed to us having made a tragic error in judgment? And, and I'm hoping that readers will respond to the complexity of that because we've all been there where we thought we were doing the right thing. But then we learned that it was much more complicated than that and that we really needed to examine not only our intentions, but also the results of our good deeds. So I feel like Sybil is a, is a complicated character, but she's a lot like all of us. Yeah, absolutely. And Tara, you have a, a cast of characters in Memphis. Perhaps mm. you could introduce us to those and, okay. and set up the story. All right, for yeah. Listeners. Well, Memphis, um, like Dolan was saying, the characters are probably extensions of myself. They're probably <laughs> just like my id, super ego, and ego like floating around. Um, but yeah, Memphis is a story. I it's a Bildungsroman. You know, I wanted to write a southern coming of age novel. Um, I wanted to write a long epic love letter to my city to the black women living there in it i don't want to give too much plot away no don't and don't as do a spoilers. poet i don't care about plot i sh- <laughs> maybe i shouldn't say that out loud but i don't I, i'm not i don't read a book for plot you know um that's what i get my movies for or euphoria okay. you know i i read my novels for for the lovely language. Mm-hmm. I know that's very nerdy, as but as a poet, I do for the for the lyrical nature of it. So I don't want to give too much away, but I have a character named Joan, and she's ten years old when she arrives in Memphis uh, with her little sister and her mother. They flee um, a bad situation, and they arrive in Joan's ancestral home. Literally, the city and then the home itself is her ancestral home. Her grandfather built it for her grandmother. And um, I don't know. She's an artist. She's very feisty. (laughs) I feel like she has guardian angels around her, like her auntie August, Mm. her sister Maya, Mm. um, Miss Jade, Miss Dawn. Um, Yeah, I'm not going to give anything. I'm not going (laughs) to tell. I don't want to tell. I don't want to tell. Y'all have to read. Y'all got to do some work. Read my book. Dolan's smiling and, and laughing along there because she knows. She knows. Yeah, don't like, give too much away. Don't yeah. give. I can't. I don't know. Things happen. <laughs> well, let me ask you this then. <laughs> no, things do happen. Things happen, things happen and we'll. And that's you know, that's a good way. Hey Tara, to get read your it. book. Things happen. Read it. No one's gonna read. <laughs> Stick that on the cover. Um, but you said you said like. Those some of those characters, and indeed, you know, some of Memphis. The book is is based on your own mm. family history and you. Yeah. How did you approach getting that balance right then? So it wasn't just all your story or all your family, and and that some of it was fiction, and you were just using elements. So what's the question? <laughs> <laughs> How did you? Because a lot of authors put themselves into their books. But how do you how do you balance it, or how did you balance it for Memphis, so that you got a bit of you and family? I feel like all the women are shades of me. Okay. Like, like Joan, I put in how driven I am about poetry, how nerdy. Yeah. Like she's that nerdy and driven about her art. I put that in. Um, how um, inappropriate and. <laughs> insane maya is i'm like that, as y'all have figured out i am like that um how sassy auntie august is mm-hmm. um and you know she doesn't give a fuck you know and um and how hardworking miriam is i think i'm like that her dating life is shit and so is mine like <laughs> so i feel like these women are all shades of me and i got to Sometimes when I didn't know what would come next, even in dialogue, I would just go in the shower and think of it like, well, what would I say mm. in that situation if I was a little tipsy or or if I had a little bit more agency in my life or if mm. I had a had a home built for me? Like, what would I have said in that situation? And yeah. even the lovely parts of the book, the falling in love, I've always wanted a man to approach me at a record store <laughs> or a deli. Like, why yeah. is that so God damn hard to do. Why did I have to make that into a book? So, I mean, 
What's the I don't, dream? I don't... You both reach for the same record. Is that, oh. the, is that the is that the sort of movie moment? It's like we're both fighting over Ma Rainey or <laughs> Bessie Smith. We're fighting, you know, or yeah. some like unreleased Amy Winehouse I haven't seen. Actually, her Frankie I think it's like four hundred dollars for the record. So yeah, if there's one of those, mm. I'm gonna be fighting them. Hey, I've got an original it. Frank uh, vinyl. Stop. Yeah, I've got a first pressing. I think it's I think it's worth. It's worth yeah i haven't yeah i keep that one very uh yeah and then music <laughs> well. as and it, the music i put in the book those are my favorite songs and yeah. what i listen to so i feel as if i don't know almost every sentence has a little bit of me in it it's it's um i think every author does that too if, yeah. they, if they don't if they say they're not they're lying i think but uh, yes i i agree and also i think it, it's it's also interesting that this book is is a fiction book and as you said it's you see it as a sort of like your second poetry collection always yeah. but um there is potentially an argument from a publishing side that it could have been a memoir or it could have been something non-fiction but yeah. i guess that was never no that, my agent was... emailed me and she said should this be a memoir i wrote her back i'm like i'm not gonna have oprah sit me on her couch and curse me out <laughs> talking about a little million things in this man this is not a memoir you made this up your granddad because i did uh, you know my grandparents unfortunately all of them have passed mm. so i made up huge swaths of the book you know i doing research i did find out that my my actual grandfather was a world war ii hero um was stationed on the western front fighting but you know, I couldn't ask him about no. that. And in real life, you know, my grandfather was in the army. In the book, he's a marine, mm -hmm. because in the book, I wanted the Marine Corps to kind of just be the the yeah. fluid thing. It would be so confusing to go back from army to Marine Corps. And then in real life, my father is a marine. He's a what day is it? He's at the Pentagon now, probably, yeah. or about to go. Um, so I just wanted to have those real slash factual you know elements tied in but i did not want people suing me saying, yeah, you know enough. like you know like this never happened always the lawyer yeah yeah the lawyer me i said mm -mm, i'm not gonna have oprah mad at me mm -mm. and you mentioned research there tara in terms of putting putting this book together and dolan this book that that you've written has so much in it and you can take so much away as a reader from it because of the subjects you cover but it's obviously been impeccably researched and I just wondered how long you spent on this because it, it, you can tell <laughs> from from the story and from the detail that you really you've really got into this subject well, this one took me seven years. Um, I, I hope that books don't take me that long in the future. <laughs> um, I do think that I, I was telling some people last night, uh, Tara mentioned uh, our previous president, whose name I won't mention on this show, but uh, I do think that slowed me down because it was very difficult to think during those four years in our country. Um, but um, And in this country, there was... a. Uh a definite fug in this country because we were we were getting the news and we were sort of well I was and I know a lot of my friends were we were really consuming it and I think it was it was slowing us down a bit as well sorry to interrupt you I just wanted to Absolutely. say you know it was no it did it slowed the world down yeah. and imagine me living in the district of Columbia yeah you know 10 minutes away from the White House um it was very difficult to to shut it out long enough to think so that slowed me down for sure um, now I'm glad actually that it slowed me down because I wouldn't have wanted to have a book come out in those years. It was so difficult to, to have a book come out during those years. But, um, I, I actually was just talking to a friend yesterday who was an early reader of my draft and, um, she hasn't read it since it, since I finished it. And I told her, I said, it changed a lot since you read it. So another benefit of taking a long time is that I was able to sit with it longer. And uh, and I told her, I said, I took two years to digest the feedback you gave me because she gave me really good, thorough, detailed feedback. So that's a good thing. And so I think if it does feel well-researched, it's really just because I was sitting with it for so long and I was able to think it through. Yeah. And has she been one of your early readers for, for all of your books? 
Now, this was the first one that she did. She and I used to work together. Her name is Sarah Bronstein, and she's one of my brilliant writer friends. And we used to work together. And then um, one day I asked her, I'm always very shy about asking people to read my horrible early drafts. I'm embarrassed and I'm, you know, I'm apologetic and I want to buy them things. But she she did it and she spent a lot of time with it. And, um, and she gave me uh, such good feedback. One of the things she said that really stuck with me that I didn't realize at the time, we had been talking about the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, which came to light in 1972, where they had over the course of uh, 40 years, um, left uh, hundreds of black men untreated with, mm. with syphilis and they died. And um, one of the things she said to me in those early days, she said, this is the Tuskegee syphilis experiment for black women. And I said, what? She said, yes, this is a book about, you know, medical, um, for lack of a better word, apartheid. And I said, wow, um, okay. <laughs> I had to process that. That took me a couple of years to just like process. Yeah. So um, I think um, I, th I think sitting with a book, I hope I don't take that long in the future. I want to be one of those people that gets a book out more often than this. Mm -hmm. So that's my hope. Well, well, it's our hope as well, obviously. But it also sounds like it was the book, you know, it needed it needed those seven years, you know, and that's not a bad thing that's that's okay um if that's if that's what it takes and we're so pleased that it's actually coming out now um and it's coming out in the uk as well so so readers in the uk can can get to discover you if they haven't already Jolyn. um i want to ask you both what you've been reading and enjoying recently because it's always great to get some recommendations and i know that i tend to read new books like both of your brilliant new novels and then i'm often then going back to read something older that you know an author that's been recommended to me that i should have read years and years ago um so what have you been reading and enjoying recently tara that you want to shout about okay give me a second i've just started it and i think i think the author is british too okay. i'm preparing okay. for y'all i'm prepared i've just started i'm like 25 pages in it and it's lovely it's gorgeous <laughs> a passage north okay by anuk Arud Pragasam. Right. And he was uh, shortlisted for the Man Booker. Or do y'all just call it the Booker Prize now? It's the Booker now. The Booker it used now. to be the Man Booker. It's, now it's still the, the Man Booker, in my opinion. But yeah, he was shortlisted and he's a young thing and he can write. Oh my God. So this 25. is just captured you, is it? Oh my God. The first paragraph. Really? So the first sentence is beautiful. Do I have the book with me? Oh God. I left it in the hotel. <laughs> it's usually in my purse. Um, and the first sentence, it's like a short one. And then the second sentence of the very first paragraph, it's so long. And it's like the meter of it. Again, I read for meter, for the lyricism of the words. not And the plot, okay, yes, things are happening. Yeah. Things happen in the book, okay? <laughs> He's great at this, plot. The, but this conversation is that in books, things happen. Things happen. Uh, what is it? <laughs> Setting. <laughs> Rising action, climax, falling, resolution. There you go. Though, that's you go. in my book, too. But how he writes is just glorious. Mm. And he's he's new. And, um, yeah, I think I'm just obsessed with him and his writing style and also the book. So I, I recommend Fantastic. And what's, what's the title of it again? A Passage North. Fantastic. And I think it's about, I haven't gotten that far, but it's about the um, 30 years civil war in Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. And he's taking literally a, a train through the countryside, through war-torn country. I haven't gotten to that part, but oh, I'm just so excited. And I probably won't. I'm probably, I read real slow because I read for the deliciousness yeah. of the words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still reading The English Patient. I've been reading that since like... <laughs> Just Thanksgiving, a, a page a week. Honestly, a page at a time, <laughs> and I'm never gonna finish because I can't. It's no. too beautiful. Well, it is. It is a beautiful book, isn't it? And it's it's worth taking your time. That's the thing. Books are worth taking your time oh, over. Yes. That is a very good point. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that recommendation. And what about you, Dolan? Have you been reading and enjoying some things recently? I have, you know, I have uh, an addiction to historical fiction. Um, I just <laughs> can't get enough of it. I love like learning about the past through fiction, and um, and I and that's what I read for pleasure. And now um, I get to read 
really for my work. So yeah. um, recently I read The Magnolia Palace by Fiona Davis. Um, Fiona Davis is this um, wonderful historical fiction writer who sets books in these historic New York City landmark buildings. And this latest one, um, which hit the New York Times bestseller list the first week it came out, is set at the Frick Residence, which was a Gilded Age mansion and is now a museum Ooh. in New York City. And you get these very interesting stories. You learn about the history of the building, but you get these other stories that are just not even you know, that much related to the building, but that are set in that era and the and the main characters going in and out and you get these lovely architectural descriptions she's she's just very good at it I don't know how she pulls it off and then of course I think the biggest read for me in 2021 was the love songs of W.E.B. Du Bois by mm-hmm. Honoré Anand Jeffers Ooh, listen. Was, I think it's about or just was published in the UK I can't remember but uh, a, a monster of a novel in terms of length but I could yeah. not hook that book down. It was so beautiful. I know Ray took a long time to write it. And uh, when I finally read it, I understood why. That, that, that is, to me, um, a great American novel in the tradition of the best of them. She's, she's just a very talented poet and, and fiction writer. And then I just read something... Um, it's not out yet, but which will be a treasured classic for me. Uh, it's called Miss Chloe, and it's a memoir of the literary friendship between Toni Morrison. As you know, Toni Morrison's birth name was Chloe, and the writer A.J. Verdell, who is a novelist from the 1980s, uh, who wrote a, a wonderful 1980s classic novel called The Good Negress, and, and then never wrote another book. And, uh, wow. but she and I, uh, she lives in, in Washington and she and I became friends, but I never knew that she was Toni Morrison's friend. I never knew that they were, you know, visiting each other and talking to each other. So the book is not only about her own relationship to books and her coming of age as a writer and reader, as a young black girl, um, she was 20 years younger than Miss Morrison, um, but she also writes about their friendship and the conversations they had, not just about literature in general, but about even Morrison's work. And, and she talks really thoughtfully about her experience reading Morrison's book. And also imagine being close enough to Morrison where you could actually give her an honest opinion about her work. I know, right? <laughs> and Morrison actually respected her opinion. So that to me is going to be a, a a treasure classic. When's that coming out? Do you know? That's coming out May 11th in the U.S. HarperCollins Amistad. Fantastic. Gosh, that sounds, yeah, that really does sound wonderful. Mm-hmm. I'd love to read that because also I uh, um, I saw recently that some of Toni Morrison's books have been uh, reprinted yeah. and jacketed in these yeah. beautiful jackets with new forwards. Mm-hmm. And I think there's also a, a new, I, I think I'm right in saying that, or a sort of previously unreleased collection that's that's come out. Yeah, I think so. And then I was just in contact with Toni Morrison's estate for the license for the UK edition for the book because I yeah. used just a, just a very small. I think it's only like four hundred words. No, two hundred and forty words. Not even that, probably. Yeah, two hundred forty. It's two hundred. Yeah. You know exactly. it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, just to 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 as a dedication and an intro for my book. So yeah, and I've met more Miss Morrison twice. Oh wow! Before wow. Yeah, before she passed. So. Yes, when I Gosh. when I first met her, uh, it was right after Wench had come out, and uh, someone introduced me to her, and she had read the book, and I couldn't believe it. <gasps> and she says, "You're the author of Wench," and I said, "Yes." And she pulled me down close to her, and she whispered in my ear, "You little devil." <laughs> And I was, and I think she was just. She thought the word and the title "winch" was hilarious to her because that's a word of her generation. And when I read A.J. Verdell's memoir, that was one of the things Verdell commented on that she loved those kinds of old words, and that they giggled over them a lot. So yeah, I'll never forget that. I didn't know at the time though when she pulled me down. I thought, what did I do? But she was just joking. <laughs> That's amazing that you've both yeah. met her. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you think your 
first two books might be published over here at some point, Dolan, or is that a question I shouldn't ask at the moment? From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> Ooh, I, like that. I hope fun. so. Yeah. We so hope too. so too. Yeah. That would be nice. Okay, but no no actual plans in the works yet. Let's wait and see. Let's wait. And see. Not that I know of. No. Okay. <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. (laughs) Well, I loved all of those recommendations. Thank you very much. And now it's time for another recommendation from each of you because it's time for the book off this is where you're each going to tell us about a book that you love and that you think that me and all the listeners should read you get three minutes to do so you don't have to use all of your three minutes if you don't want to but if you're still talking as the three minute mark i'll either be ringing you out with the school bell or honking you out with the horn now because you're traveling the furthest Dolan, down the wires from Washington, D.C. You get to decide if you go first or second. Which would you like to do? I'll, I'll go second. I'm so afraid I'm going to get a gong, though, because I didn't time myself, but go ahead. Don't you worry about that. That's all right. Many, many people have gone before you and got a gong. It's all right. That's an OK thing. So you're going to you're going to sit back and see what Tara's got. Um, well, Tara, what what would you prefer then at the three minute mark? Do you want the bell or do you want the horn? Bell. OK. That was a very quick decision. Yes, you, you knew yes. Exactly what you were I've about. been looking at it on the table no. and I've been trying not to just take it and shake it. <laughs> so, yeah, I want the bell. Please. It's very tempting, isn't it? I know. Um, okay, uh, before we start the timer, then just tell us the book that you are putting forward. Okay, so the title is Oh, You Thought This Was a Date Apocalypse Poems by my best friend, C. Russell Price out of Chicago, Northwestern University Press, my alma mater, (laughs) is publishing it. And it comes out June. I'm not sure which day, but June June, this year, though. This this June. New, new, fresh, fresh, fresh. This is this June. So please pre order it. You can, I think you can pre order it from Northwestern University Press right now. Okay. And I mean, title alone, it's already. It's already oh, out there as, this was as a, a potential date. winner. Yes. Um, okay, well, I've put three minutes on the clock, so okay. it's over to you, uninterrupted, to tell us about Oh, You Thought This Was a Date. Yes, so Oh, You Thought This Was a Date by C. Russell Price. I mean, we're the best of friends. We always talk to each other, text each other, and we say, I love you. And then they write back, I love you too. And I write back, and I hate everyone else. <laughs> everyone else too and I I feel as if a book should be written about our friendship you know we're two poets out of Chicago 
poor, chain-smoking together, writing in apartments filled with mice and the love of each other. And I have a, a small poem to recite from the collection. They gave me permission to do this, C. Russell. And the title alone, the title of this poem is The Devil Rules This World Because He Created It and That God Is Far Away. You would think we'd be ashamed for outliving our friends and fellow Americans. We're not. Our nationalist faith is so strong, it makes everyone uncomfortable. A hummingbird is sobbing during office hours. They're coming to take the hummingbird's family. It is a felony to house a hummingbird. Who even reports a hummingbird? Clearly, I mean a human when I say a hummingbird. It is a sin to make a bird a metaphor for a person. The young woman is sobbing during office hours. They're coming to take the young woman's family. It is a felony to house the young woman. Who even reports a young woman? Clearly, I mean a human when I say a human. Wow. They can write. When I tell you we'd sit in Chicago apartments, poor, like not a penny to our names, struggling to find the money for a dollar taco, a cigarette, and a shot of Jack, we wrote. And I wrote my Memphis, and C. Russell wrote this collection. So I, I, I encourage the world to go out and buy this in June. Fantastic. Bit of bell, even though you didn't need it, you were well in time there. Oh, really? Well in time, Tara. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goodness me, that was fab. Thank you. And what a... Oh, can't they write? What a reading. They certainly Ooh. can. We'll come back and, and talk about that in just a moment. Okay. You can have a breather now. You can get back to that coffee because it's uh, time now for I need a to drink. step up. Yeah, now we need a <laughs> Eat a real drink well, it's out nearly of that. midday. I think we can almost <laughs> do it, you know. Um, Dolan, it's over to you now. I'm putting three minutes back on the clock. And just before we start, why don't you tell us the book that you're putting forward? So my book is Octavia Butler's Kindred. <clears throat> Fantastic. Three minutes on the clock, then uninterrupted if you want it to tell us about Kindred. Over to you. Okay. I will confess that I didn't read Octavia Butler's Kindred until the year 2000, 21 years after it was originally published. And though the book is set in 1976 with time travel back to pre-Civil War Maryland, it was so timely at the time for me. It felt so fresh. In historical fiction being published today, we often talk about dual timeline novels. But Kindred was one of the first dual timeline novels I ever read. The protagonist, Dana, is pulled back and forth between timelines. If you don't know this work, it is a work of science fiction, and the main character time travels. And I think that that time travel maneuver is both effective and devastating. It's effective because those of us who love history dream of being able to travel safely back in time to meet and get to know our ancestors. But it's devastating because Dana's visit, visits are not the stuff of fantasies. Her visits to the past quickly turn violent, and she witnesses firsthand the difficulty of living as a black woman in antebellum American, America. And Octavia Butler was one of the first black women writers to write in the genre of science fiction. And when I read this book, I felt that my imagination was so enriched by the encounter. It opened all kinds of possibilities for me. Um, in terms of what fiction could do when it came to chronicling the Black American experience. It wasn't so much that I was interested in writing science fiction, although I do dip into the waters of speculative fiction in my second novel, Balm, as much as I realized that there were no boundaries or limits to what I could do or write. All of the tools of narrative were at my disposal. I just had to learn them. There was also this quote I heard Butler give during an interview once. She said she chose a female protagonist because she didn't think she could realistically keep a black man alive during those times. I was, I was shocked by that statement and really disturbed, though I immediately understood what she meant. Antebellum America was a dangerous place for a black man. But if that were true, what was the converse? Was it easier for black women? Did black women have a certain advantage? 
I wasn't quite sure about that, but surely, I thought, there was something unique about the black female experience and perspective that could provide a unique insight into history. Thinking about Butler's statement has been part of what has compelled me to center my own stories around black female protagonists. So this book has been absolutely critical to me. After her sudden and untimely death in 2006, Butler rose to the level of literary icon in the United States. More people discovered her work, more teachers taught her work, her lesser-known novels became more well-known. But I still recall that moment when I discovered Kindred in my own time and how I cherished each page and marveled at her unheralded creativity. Ooh, it was right as at the same time. That was pretty much oh, right on the oh, nose, Dolan. And what a wonderful, <gasps> wonderful close. sentence to finish off. That was close. You did a fantastic job there. Mm-hmm. Both of you did. Wow, thank you so much for those pictures and for bringing these books to our attention. Um, Tara, C. Russell Price sounds Ooh. absolutely wonderful and their writing is, as you have just demonstrated, so powerful. powerful. Yeah, I mean, it affected you reading it. I mean, maybe because they're my best friend, yeah. you know, and I would do anything for C. Russell Price, but also I just know... <sighs> their struggle with getting queer poetry published and the fact that my alma mater is doing that. I'm just so proud and I just get really emotional and I'm just so proud of them too. Like I just hope we take this world by storm. I hope that their uh, their poetry collection is able to be published someday over here too. Like they do deserve that. And I just think it's so much, it's time for black artists it's time for queer artists it's our time yeah absolutely and so, yeah i i'm yeah well I i'll be i'm going to be seeking it out you know whether if it's yes. a if it's a american press only i'm gonna i'm gonna okay. order it based based on what you've said about their work but also that reading as you'll well, have you know? to come to chicago and we can have a party well that's, get us, that's uh, yes! a much better idea isn't <laughs> yeah. it that's a much better idea shove this ordering it business i'll yeah. just come over and get yes, get myself exactly. a copy um but thank you for for telling us about it and for, for flagging it up um and dolan i absolutely loved your pitch um the fact that that kindred you know i know you read it 21 years after it was published but the fact that it felt so fresh and timely to you then probably would for someone reading it now and that it obviously had such a influence on you and your work and and how it sort of helped shape what you've written is really great you know and that's so important that books do that for writers um and being one of the first black women to write in that genre as well is is mm-hmm. huge isn't it and so important she's been um, hugely influential on a whole generation of writers yeah yeah like me i mean and uh, like <laughs> tara's putting her hand up <laughs> like, like, like me? me me as well i'll take you know uh, there was some exhibit oh god at this beautiful museum oh i forget the name of it outside of la the the Hutchins something and they had all of her works her journals oh wow wow and I just walked around you could touch her journals and they blew them up on big oh god I can't remember Hutchinson Library something like that I'll have to okay think about it but yeah, yeah. um it was that exhibit changed my life it wow. really did gosh I mean it's yeah it sounds like a a wonderful book a powerful book and as you say it's great that she's now become an icon even though she sort of passed away far too young but people have and are discovering her and she's being taught and this is brilliant oh yes and it's you know it's a really good read too I mean I was uh, I I got my copy off the shelf last night and I was I found myself reading it all over again it's a good read she knew how to spin a yarn so I highly recommend it to your listeners well I mean both of these books sound absolutely fabulous both of them sound very important I can't wait to get this poetry collection, Tara, that you have mentioned. Um, gosh, it's impossible to choose, really. But do you know what? Um, just based on the based on the fact that it's, it's been such an influence, I think I'm going to take Kindred. I'm going to take Kindred. Just pipped it. But I tell you what, um, based on that reading alone and, and just all the, your passion for C. Russell Price, uh, I'm going to check them out. Okay. They sound absolutely fantastic. Good. And you're so right, though, Tara, about it is, it's got to be the time. It's our time. For 
queer poets. It, it, you know, this it, is this is this is the time, right? <laughs> this is got, and we've got to be publishing people like C. Russell Price right. more widely. Right. We have to be, and it's right. I it's think fantastic that you've brought them to our. They attention. should be a household name. Absolutely, so. and hopefully they will be. Oh <laughs> and you've goodness. helped a little bit. Helped the a little bit towards that. <laughs> See, Russell and I will be having on our yachts in uh, Lake Michigan, <laughs> watching the fireworks in Chicago, <laughs> toasting away it. to us. Please, Mama needs a house. Yeah, Mama needs a house. Please, <laughs> come on, get those orders in. Uh, and you can help Tara get a house by uh, ordering Memphis, which is out now and it's published by John Murray and it's absolutely brilliant. And Take My Hand by Dolan Perkins Valdez is out on the 12th of May here in the UK, uh, if you're listening to this before that. But you can pre-order it now if you want to. And it's published by Phoenix. What an absolute pleasure oh, to spend this delight. time with you both. Thank it's you so wonderful. much for, for being here and joining oh. us. And thank you for your passion for your recommendations and thank you for your two brilliant, brilliant novels, which I really, really, really enjoyed. And I have a little present. I can't give it to you, Dolan, because I haven't worked out how to give something through a screen yet, but okay. I will send you one of these. We've got okay. we've got a book off tote bag. Oh, me. nice. Now, this one's for you, Tara. Oh, my God. Now, I, I notice you already have a very snazzy bag with you. So I don't care. I love it, all bags. You can maybe take that to the... <laughs> Thank uh, you so much. To the bookshops or the records. Oh I think God. it fits records, actually. So you Don't tell me that. this because I'm flying to Paris tomorrow. <laughs> and now I have a carry-on bag for the records. <laughs> there and, we go. And my life is complete. Thank you so it's, much It's like this. I thought about it. It's like I thought about it. Oh, my um, goodness. What an absolute pleasure and a joy. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. It's an honor. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 